When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Athens Black White podcast with me, Aaron Stokes, and today I'm joined by Daniel Childs from Football London, the Chelsea reporter, as we get the opposition view ahead of this weekend's game. Newcastle versus Chelsea on Saturday, the final fixture before the Premier League breaks for that winter break in the Qatar World Cup. Unfortunately for Newcastle and probably quite fortunately for Chelsea, given their recent form. Daniel, let's start with Chelsea then as of late. Obviously, they made a big managerial change very early in the season, brought Graham Potter in, which raised a few eyebrows among certain sections of the media. Um, You know, without a win in four in the league and currently sat seventh, what's the sort of feeling around the club at the moment? Uh, It's not great, obviously. Uh, The mood has not been that positive around Stamford Bridge this season. I I think this game being the final one before the World Cup is quite interesting because you kind of have the polar opposite kind of moods around, I think, clubs. There's a real positive feeling. Kind of have to flip everything on its head with Chelsea. Um, And that's not just because of Graham Potter. I think there's a lot of things that kind of play into that. Um, And they're not all associated with this season. I I think this year has been a very difficult one for Chelsea, uh, going all the way back to February when Roman Abramovich announced he was going to be selling the club. And then about a week later, Chelsea got hit with sanctions, which obviously made the the future, the kind of the the nature of Chelsea's future, very uncertain. Um, uh, a very quick takeover process, which was very difficult, uh, different to the one that happened at Newcastle, um, which is very intense and, and very unpredictable. And, and I think there is a feeling of exhaustion uh, because so much has happened this year, uh, even though Chelsea are, are naturally a chaotic club. I think even Chelsea fans trained in that chaos have found this year a little bit of a whirlwind. So there are many different factors and I think there's a bit of collateral damage that has kind of impacted the start of Graham Potter's reign, if I'm being honest. So, a lot of things tied in there. I don't think it's just one thing. Obviously, losing games as a club like Chelsea is always going to make the mood not great. Um, but I think to try and simplify things is a little bit difficult at the moment to kind of tie it all together. We'll, we'll touch on the ownership then. You know, obviously, Todd Bowley came in. As you say, it was a very, very unprecedented takeover, obviously, with Abramovich's, you know, well-documented exit. He came in, you know, he's this American, he's got all these very quirky ideas that might work in the States. And sometimes, you know, you come over here and you try these ideas and, and they don't work. What what have you made of his start as owner? Obviously, it was a very, very controversial decision to back Tuchel quite handsomely in the transfer market and then and then sack him just a few days later. Yeah, I think that um, the circumstances surrounding it and the timing of the takeover maybe hasn't helped sort of um, that feeling of kind of a, a slow integration into things because, you know, he takes over the, well, the, the, the Clear Lake as well, the sort of the consortium take over the club around June time officially. Um, and you're straight into a transfer window. So there was kind of no time, no bedding in process, um, a few months to kind of get their feet under the table. They kind of had to act quite quickly because some big players had moved on, like Antonio Rudiger and Christensen, who they couldn't renew their contracts. So you've got to replace some big players. There's current players who maybe want to leave. There's a feeling that, that even before we'd had the takeover, Chelsea needed an overhaul in some aspects in the, in the squad. Um, so there needed to be quick action and... I think that there have been, he, he's, 
and I think Chelsea is a club of trying to be sort of spinning plates at the same time, you know, signing new players, selling, you know, older players, um, trying to restructure the behind the scenes sort of um, recruitment sort of way of going about things. You're seeing that at the moment. So I think it's been difficult if Bowley had had, say, if, say, taken over the club in, say, in October or September and had a long sort of runway up to his first summer transfer window, that probably would help things. But that has made things chaotic. And and listen, yeah, backing Tuchel with that number of signings and spending that amount of money um, and then, you know, parting away so early onto the season looks chaotic. Um, and there's there's kind of no way around that, right? There's no way, I think, to frame that and go and to try and dismiss the argument because I think to outsiders and to a lot of Chelsea fans, it did feel very strange. Um, but you know that that's the way it played out, and at the end, it was a it was a, a fact that the the ownership and the head coach and Thomas Tuchel could not see eye to eye. Um, so I think, in a sense, it is a kind of mature way of going about things of not continuing that relationship and that could have got more toxic as the season went on. Obviously, Tuchel was, was quite well liked among the fan base. Obviously, he brought that Champions League success. You know, he, he, he took on that mantle from Lampard very well. Potter, as I mentioned earlier, was a bit of a eye-raising um, mm. arrival. You know, some have backed him very, very much for what he's done at Swansea and Brighton and in Sweden. Others say, you know, it was a huge step for him to take um, and join a club of, of the stature of Chelsea. Champions League form has been okay. You know, they've, they've picked up some wins, but the league form has, has probably left lacking. And, and obviously last night's defeat, um, or sorry, Wednesday's defeat against uh, Manchester City was was probably quite a disappointing one to exit the cup um, at that stage. What have you made of Potter's start so far? And what is the general mm-hmm. feeling around the club about, about Potter as a coach? Yeah, I think that um, the failings he's having at the moment are not abnormal and I I don't think are unique to him. Um, I I think to kind of frame it as that would be a little bit disingenuous. You know, I I think that, you know, some of the problems I think Chelsea are having currently are kind of long-term problems. And this is something I'm actually kind of writing about at the moment for for a longer piece for Football London about Chelsea and kind of the identity crisis going on. Uh, because Graham Potter is, as you mentioned, is kind of the antithesis to the coaches Chelsea have regularly gone for over the past 20 years with the Abramovich reign, right? You know, Chelsea are used to recruiting coaches with a massive CV of titles, usually. There are two exceptions that came before Thomas Tuchel in Maurizio Sarri and Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard being a, a club legend. Um, and it was, very, it was very easy sell for Chelsea supporters to get on board. Sarri, I think, is probably the easiest comparison to Potter because, once again, you're bringing in a coach with a CV of not a lot of trophies, working at a very different sort of... Uh, expectation level at, at club smaller um, but I found it an interesting decision by the new owners because they could have you know there's this perception of Bowley that you've kind of referenced of this kind of feeling but a lot of it was linked to kind of Cristiano Ronaldo over the summer this feeling that you know Bowley wants to come in the American owners they they want superstars they want everything to be bigger and better kind of this you know perception um, part of the reason they went for Graham Potter was because and was suggested at the time was they kind of looked at football and been quite surprised that there was kind of this group of elite coaches or perceived elite coaches who had passed through these big clubs over and over again, uh, even if they'd, the jobs they'd done at those clubs weren't amazing. Um, and they thought, why don't we just take a guy who's clearly done some very good work at a club like Brighton and give him bigger resources? Um, but that is a cultural clash with Chelsea. And I think you've you've probably seen that if Newcastle fans have like gauged some of the mood around Chelsea fans, 
there is a divide around that because Chelsea fans are very used to consistent success. They are used to kind of uh, the short-term boost that we've had when changing head coaches. And that hasn't really happened. There hasn't been kind of this honeymoon period that Graham Potter has had that say his predecessor in Thomas Tuchel got with literally in four months winning the Champions League. And of course he can't rival that. Um, so it's been, it's been difficult. Um, I think the tactical sort of profile of Graham Potter makes a lot of sense to go from Tuchel to, to Potter because there are similarities between both coaches. So I don't think it's, it's a silly move. It's just, it's such a massive question of, I, I don't think I have doubts about Potter tactically. I think it's culturally, how do you go from a club like Brighton and that expectation level where if you don't win a game in four, no one thinks it's the end of the world. I'm not trying to insult Brighton, but, you know, there are expectations of Brighton. At Chelsea, it becomes a big story, as you're seeing now. Well, I mean, yeah, that it sort of was striking when I, you know, sort of did my research for the podcast and saw that actually Chelsea have gone four in the league without a win. And it does sort of mm. stand out, whereas I know what you mean about Brighton. You've touched on, on Potter's tactics there. You know, a very distinct style of play everywhere he's been. Brighton with a fantastic start of the season before he left them. It's early days, obviously, and he'll still be finding his feet at the club, but do you already see the type of play that he's trying to play, or is it just not coming across, or or what have you made of that sort of tactically so far this season? Yeah, I mean, in recent weeks, it's been it's been difficult because Chelsea have had some bad performances. Um, you know, the Arsenal game was probably the lowest point, I think, of his, his reign so far, even worse than the Brighton game, because the Brighton game... Uh, you know, I sort of put it down to being a receipt from the footballing gods. You know, we take their coach, we take their coaching staff, we take one of their best players from last season. You know, it's just, you know, sort of karma that, you know, it was going to happen, right? Um, Arsenal was a really depressing game because it was at home to a London rival and Chelsea really didn't show anything in attack to be optimistic about. I actually think there have been improvements. You know, he, I think he's been able to make Chelsea a little bit more creative, uh, create better quality opportunities. I think if you saw that against, if you watched the Man City game, Chelsea did create good opportunities to maybe win that game. Um, but the finishing was just, was unfortunately lacking. Um, there was an improvement, a shoot up in sort of creativity and productivity in his first few games. Um, he has sort of stuck to some of the similar principles of Thomas Tuchel. You know, Chelsea still want to control a lot of possession. Uh, they usually do line up in a, in a free for free, but it's, I think it's been a lot more fluid. And I think Potter has tried, um, he's taken a few more risks. You know, Chelsea look to press a little bit higher than they did before. They look to commit a, a a few more men forward than they did under Thomas Tuchel, which obviously, as you saw against Brighton and as you've seen in some of the games, there are consequences for that. Um, there is a risk you take that, of being exposed in transition and you may see that at St. James's Park on, on Saturday night. So I've liked what I've seen. I, I've liked some of the selections he's made. I like the fact that particularly with some really horrible injury problems he's had to deal with, like Reese James, sometimes he has found inventive solutions, but I think he he sometimes clashed with maybe some of the profiles in his squad not really suiting what he wants to do, which is a very similar and kind of tiresome problem for Chelsea coaches in recent years when looking at the squad. You've touched on the squad there and obviously some big names that are probably underperforming right now. You've got the likes of Aubameyang, who came in, obviously said how much he was you know, excited to work with Tuchel, then he was out the door. Mm. Sterling, which looked like a really good buy in the summer to get him from Manchester City, you know, sort of hasn't been finding the net of late. And then you've got the likes of Hazard and Mount and trying to fit them all in the team. Has there been any sort of, I wouldn't say flops, but has there been any sort of players that have really disappointed this season that you thought were going to really kick on under either Tuchel or, or Potter? 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I think Raheem Sterling is probably one of the bigger ones. Uh, he was kind of, he was the first big signing announced over the summer. Um, it felt like a real get, you know, this has been one of the Premier League's kind of star attackers at Man City. Uh, and he started well. He actually, you know, there's a fair argument to say he looked a lot better on the Thomas Tuchel than he did and has has under Graham Potter since. Um, it's It's been kind of, unfortunately, a, a trend we've seen, particularly in the final third of attacking signings we brought in, um, who've done well elsewhere and just haven't really clicked at Chelsea. Um, you know, I think there was a real logic behind Raheem Sterling that, you know, this is a, a Premier League attacker coming into his prime. He knows the league. Um, he'll know some of the Chelsea players. Hopefully, he can really click and 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 you know hit the ground running. But unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, I think some of that you could sort of partly blame at Potter in the sense that we haven't really played Raheem Sterling as he has been for the last like seven or eight years with Man City. Like he he's kind of been playing a lot more centrally, which I don't think is kind of where you see the best of him. We know at Man City, he likes coming in off the left and cutting onto that right foot of his. Um, and we don't usually play really, really wide players. There still is a tendency at times to kind of play Sterling as as kind of a forward. And I don't think that's helped his game. Um, Abamyang started well. He's, you know, he scored a couple goals and it looked like this actually could be quite a decent signing. Uh, but he's really gone off the boil in recent weeks. Uh, Kaladu Koulibaly has kind of been up and down. Um, uh, you know, he... <laughs> For some reason, he decided not to jump to try and block Riyad Mahrez's free kick the other night. Um, and his form has been sort of criticised. Uh, the other one named Wesley Fafana, unfortunately, has has got an injury. So we have not been able to see much of him. Kukurea, a bit like Koulibaly, I think started well, but has had some erratic performances. And as well, you could sort of question the positioning of Kukurea because he's been consistently playing on the left of a back three rather than as a, as a left wing back or a left back, which I think a lot of people would would think and assume would be his best position or natural position. So, yeah, it hasn't been resounding success, but it's it's hard to sort of pinpoint those new signings and say they've all been a problem because there have been existing players who've been here before who have also underperformed and and, and shown uh, frailties too. And for Newcastle fans that probably haven't watched it, you know, a lot of Chelsea this season with Chelsea coming up at St James's Park this weekend. What can Newcastle fans expect from that Chelsea team in terms of style and? And obviously they'll be up for it one at the end on a high before the World Cup. It's it's tough to know setup wise and even personnel wise because um, even if you've like scanned Chelsea's lineups and formations, Potter has regularly changed things. Um, I don't think I've seen a head coach come into Chelsea and try as many different shapes as he has in the first ten or eleven games. Yeah, um, I, I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans that I follow on on social media say the same thing that they they can't sort of get their head round. The, the different types of formations that he's trying to play and moving players in and out sort of week from week. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the best bet I would say is a, f- a three at the back is probably what I'd, I'd say is, is the most likely. He did try a four at the back, a four three three against Arsenal. Um, he hasn't played that formation very regularly and he, and he moved back to a three four three against Man City. 
Um, so I'd assume that's what he's going to go for again. I think some of that, again, is being informed by personnel he doesn't have. So sometimes he is having to change things if he's got a player out injured or is maybe wanting to rest and rotate because the, the schedule is so demanding currently, particularly of Champions League games. I think that's something Newcastle are really benefiting from this season uh, of having more free weeks. Chelsea and Potter just don't have that. So he, he is at times being forced into those changes. Um, it, it's a tendency. It, it's what the game, I think, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, um, watching Newcastle, the way they've played against Tottenham, the way they've played against uh, Man City earlier in the season, the way they played against Liverpool, there is very much a progressive tendency under Eddie Howe. I think there is obviously a good defensive structure there, but watching them against uh, Tottenham in particular, which is a very impressive performance, they tried to press Tottenham high. They tried to, you know, very much um, press that back free and, and very much benefited off the mistakes that Tottenham made. So I do wonder, like we did against Man City, whether Potter will look at it and go, we're away from home. We'll try and play around the press and try and hit Newcastle in transition a bit more than maybe people expect. Because last season at St. James's Park, it was a very different game. Chelsea pretty much had all of the ball and were trying to break Newcastle down. I'm not quite sure it's going to be like that this season, uh, which maybe favours Chelsea because there'll be more space to exploit. So Chelsea are a team that want to build up from the back. Uh, they want to, you know, definitely, you see the centre-back splitting, you see short passes uh, from the keeper, um, and particularly using those wing-backs for whip and trying to break through a, a press. Um, but as I say, it's 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 silly of me, even though I write about Chelsea and it's kind of my job to report about Chelsea, to kind of nail down what the team's even going to look like because that has changed so frequently. And if you were to ask five different Chelsea fans for a predicted lineup, I think you would get five different answers, if I'm being honest, and even probably five different formations at the current point. There's probably going to be some players on display that Newcastle were very heavily linked with in the summer. There was a period where I know, you know, we were covering here at the Chronicle that every other week, you know, there was the likes of Pulisic and at one point, Hudson Adoy and Gallagher and Brogia all heavily linked with the move as Newcastle really sort of tried to find one more attacking option towards the end of the window. Fair to say, probably from the outside, that it's been a bit hit and miss with those. I know Conor Gallagher's enjoyed quite a bit of game time. Um, Brogia obviously stayed with the club rather than going out on loan and has enjoyed little uh, appearances. Pulisic, maybe not so much. What have you made of sort of that group um, that decided to stay at Chelsea? Mm. Yeah, it has been mixed fortunes, I think. Um in the case of, you know, Pulisic is, is kind of a weird one because, you know, he's been at Chelsea a lot longer and um, a lot of his sort of struggles have kind of been longstanding. It's it's kind of hard to know how his future is going to line up with Chelsea uh, because he was linked away consistently in the summer, not just with Newcastle. I know, you know, there were talks of, a, of even a Man United loan later in that window. So, and he's kind of been on the fringes. He's kind of got back into to playing recently. And actually, he's looked one of Chelsea's brighter players and probably deserves a, a bit more time on the pitch, um, which is good to see. Uh, Conor Gallagher, yeah, I, I think that he still is, for me, a player that I'd like to see a bit more of. Um, I think there there is definitely an energy and a quality there that we saw at Crystal Palace. I'm very happy he stayed because I think he just offers a lot of things that Chelsea probably lacked last season in, in central midfield, and particularly when he's playing closer to the goal. Breuer, I think, is a very exciting player, um, a raw striker, someone who is still young, still finding his trade in, and I think he's going to need the experience. But, you know, I, I, I'm personally kind of feeling that, you know, particularly for Newcastle, if Chelsea are going to try and play in transition, I'd like to see him start because uh, I do think there is a real threat there and there is a speed there for someone that big. It is quite scary when he gets going um, and the finish he you know if you saw the goal he scored against Wolves earlier in the season really good finishing there as well so 
I think there'd be some Chelsea fans who'd like to see him start as well. Um, did I miss anyone out? I think you said Hudson Odoi, who Hudson obviously Rose went to Bayern left, Yeah, and, and I think that was yeah. probably it. I feel I feel like we wanted half of your team at, at some point, but yeah. I think that was the four the four main ones um, that Newcastle missed out on. Yeah, so I don't think you've you've missed out on anyone there. You you touched on it earlier in the, in the podcast, and that is that you know these two clubs are sort of in very different moments. Yes, they've both had big takeovers, but Chelsea are maybe trying to find their feet, whereas. Newcastle are really sort of flourishing under um, Eddie Howe in this new re- regime. As a lifelong Newcastle fan, it's not often that you know we go into these games as thinking we had got an actual chance of beating Chelsea here. But from everybody that I've spoken to in, in recent days, they feel like Newcastle are actually probably the favourites for this game. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you would probably share? Yeah, I mean, on the form table, you can't really argue against it, uh, can you, at the moment? Uh, they're such a, a feel-good feeling and, and you watch Newcastle... Uh, I did find it quite weird, the pessimism around Eddie Howe's appointment last year. I thought he did a very good job at Bournemouth uh, with the resources he had, uh, taking them from League One to the Premier League. I mean, it's an impressive job and I think he's really settled in there. And I think the most impressive thing about Newcastle is, sure, you can look at the new signings. I think it's some of those long-standing players who were part of the previous regime who have really improved. I mean... Almiron is is kind of having his own goal of the season competition on a weekly basis at the moment. Uh, Joel Linton, I mean, is one of, I think, the best stories I've seen in the Premier League in recent years of, of a player so heavily doubted, altering his position and such a great demonstration of good coaching. Um, and of course, I'm sure there are many other players we could speak about. You know, Callum Wilson is is a is just a regular goal scorer, will probably be scoring goals uh, until, you know, he retires. Um, and... I, I do like watching St. Maximum. I've always liked watching him as a player. I just think he's he's a very fun player to watch. Maybe frustrating at times, but there mm-hmm. there is there is quite clearly such a, a good feeling around the club at the moment. And um it's it's weird because you say that about St. James Park. St. James Park has been a bogey ground for Chelsea for a number of years. Actually, yeah. in the past two years, we won there, which is freakish. If we were to go there for a third year and win, uh, I think that would definitely end the curse. So, you know, St. James Park, even when these games have looked lopsided. Um, Chelsea fans have always been fearful going up to James Park and of course now you know it looks like a very very even game and considering it's the 5.30 game it's it's the last one before the World Cup um, where both teams are on the table you know Newcastle if they could go into the World Cup break with a, with a win it, it put them in such an amazing position uh, so Chelsea are going to have to ride that wave and, and the problem is with the Chelsea team and the mentality and the confidence at the moment it's very hard to feel like we've got great evidence of Chelsea overcoming those odds you know of really upsetting a team this season um you know in the big games we haven't won any of those and it's kind of hard to see you know and really take a lot of the confidence from recent games so yeah I could absolutely understand why a lot of people even outsiders would would sort of have Newcastle as favourites here well, I think you've definitely earned yourself some Newcastle fans there with that praise of the of the playing squad. And I do remember the days where Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte would come to St James's Park and really struggle to win. So mm. hopefully it isn't three on the bounce for Newcastle's sake. Before I let you go, Daniel, I think we should just get a prediction from yourself. How you think the game will go and, and of course, a score prediction as well. Uh, I'm going to probably be a little bit dull. I'm going to go for a, a, a score draw. Um, I, I think that I just wonder across the Premier League this weekend if we're going to see just a lack of intensity from players. Yeah. Uh, the squads have now been announced. Newcastle and Chelsea are going to have a, quite a few players going to the World Cup. And I just wonder um, there might just be a tendency from not only players, even if it is sort of subconscious, like it's not even like an obvious thing. I'm not saying players are going to go out there and not care. Um, 
just that feeling of that extra percent of people not wanting to get injured because we've seen so many players, some of those at Chelsea go down injured and being out of the World Cup so close. And also, I, I think coaches will be a little bit more reactive and maybe pragmatic and not want to go into this break with a really bad defeat. Um, and Potter's one of those. You know, I, I think maybe for Eddie Howe, it's not, it's not the end of the world if Newcastle lose to Chelsea. It's not going to be a nice feeling, but, you know, he's built up so much good will over the, this season that, you know, losing to Chelsea, as I say, it, it, as, as you say, is not it's not a massive shock. It's not a disastrous mm -hmm. result. Um, but Chelsea need to kind of stem this negativity. They need to go into this break with some optimism. I think, obviously, the only way to do that is a win. But I think a draw at St. James's Park is, is not the end of the world, um, particularly with this Newcastle side. So I'm going to go over 1-1. Um, and, and I just wonder if those final 20 minutes, if it's 1-1, you may just see it sort of shake hands yeah, and we'll, no, mo yeah. we'll move into the break without any more injuries. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I think we could see quite a few games this weekend in the Premier League essentially being glorified training sessions with a lot of second string teams out, especially, as you say, given how many players are probably going to be at the World Cup for both these teams. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us on the Everything is Black Mike podcast. You've been a fantastic guest. Um, and for Newcastle's sake, I hope your prediction isn't right. I hope they can end the season uh, or the first half of the season with a win heading into the World Cup and hopefully Chelsea get things back on track towards the second half of the season with Graham Potter. Thanks very much for listening at home and we'll be back. We'll have more podcasts over the weekend. We'll have instant reaction to that Chelsea win. Sorry, that Chelsea win. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that Chelsea performance and we'll also have a match review with myself and Andrew Musgrove on Monday. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you over the weekend.